Acts 18, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for those in the gym sanctuary, everyone online, welcome. And to the parents in the nursery, we're grateful that you are here with us today. Today is family worship service, and Pastor Ansi always reminds me that it is so important for our families to worship together on Sundays as many times as possible. And so uh, I'm grateful for that because it is really great to have our families together, to worship together here, and, uh, and to be together, just to kind of sense God's presence together as a family. That is key. Now, Pastor Ansi is not here today because yesterday, last night, she was ordained by the Evangelical Covenant Church. There she is. She is now an ordained pastor. Within our denomination, we are so proud of her. Uh, It happened last night, so there's no way she could have gotten back here on time. But when you see her next week, make sure you thank, uh, congratulate her uh, in sort of this momentous sort of occasion in her own life. And even for the history of our church, she is the first woman pastor that has been ordained here at Metro Community Church with the Evangelical Covenant Church. Pastor Sunita is baptized, um, is ordained through the Baptist denomination, but within our denomination, she is the first lady pastor that has been ordained. And so we're really excited. We celebrate with her in that. So make sure you, you congratulate her next Sunday. Uh, I am a proud father of three children. Uh, Chris, there were two of them were up here singing. Uh, let's see if you've got a picture of them. There we are. This is Christina in the middle. She just graduated last week uh, from high school. She'll be going to Rutgers in the fall. Uh, she's 17 years old. I, I like to believe that out of the three, I probably have the deepest relationship with her because we talk about a lot of serious stuff. And so she and I have a pretty strong relationship. Kayla is on the right. She's 15 years old. She's going to be a sophomore. Uh, those dimples get deeper as she gets older. And so when she smiles, I can never say no to her. I don't know why. Uh, Christian. Uh, the knucklehead on the left uh, is my son. He's 13 years old. Uh, I love that little boy, but sometimes it's like a love-hate relationship with that kid. But uh, in some ways, he reminds me of me, and many ways he doesn't, which I'm really thankful about. Really, I am. Uh, as a father, uh, one of my greatest joys that I have in life is that I have a good relationship with my kids. And one of the reasons why we have that is because we have this sort of this communicational relationship. And so on Father's Day, uh, they decided to make me a card. All three of them, uh, they came together and they, they didn't buy a card, they made me a card. Look how big this sucker is, right? They made me this card and I kind of wanted to read it to you because I thought it was real special, but there were some common themes that I sort of realized that they wanted to communicate to me on Father's Day. All right, here's what they said. Dear, this is my oldest, Christina. Dear Appa, Appa means father in Korean. Thank you for everything you have done for me. Although you can be annoying at times, I know I am going to miss you so, so much next year. Because she's going to college. Uh, You are always there for me, and I know I can go to you whenever I need something. I love you so much. I hope you have a wonderful Father's Day. That's great, great. My second daughter, Kayla, here's what she wrote. Happy Father's Day, Daddy. Um, Happy Father's Day to the best dad in the entire world. Oh, yeah. Just check her out what she says next. Thank you so much for taking care of me and loving all of us, even though you annoy me so much. <laughs> I still love you so much. All right. Uh, here's, the f- here's my boy. Uh, dear Appa, happy Father's Day. Thank you for everything you have done for me. Thank you for always taking care of us and always spending countless of hours and investing tons of money on my baseball. You're the best 
funniest and annoying dad ever. <laughs> There's this common theme of I am the best dad, but I'm also probably the most annoying dad ever as well. You notice that? And so I, I, I like annoying them. I, in fact, that's my, my terms of endearment. I love to annoy them by, you know, with my, ki- my hugs and kisses. And I, I, and I do do a little PDA. You know, my, my daughter Kayla hates it when I show my public display of affection to her in public. But, you know, it's part of, what, 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 it's part of being a father, in, in my opinion. Uh, but we have a, a good communicational relationship, and I'm grateful for that, that even if they have issues with me, that sometimes I give them the platform where I try to get it out so they can share it with me. I like to get that kind of feedback from them at times. And I think for them, it's really easy for them to have a good relationship with a father that they can touch, they can talk to, and they could even hear from at times, right? But I do worry a little bit about all three of them, because I wonder how they're going to be able to tap in and have a re- good, healthy relationship with their heavenly father, God. And even though we can't see God physically, even though we can't touch God physically, we can actually hear from God. And my hope and my dream for my three kids is that they would get to a place in their lives where they would actually hear the very voice of God. When was the last time you heard from God? Have you ever heard from him? I hope you have. As much as I love my children, one of the great things that I get to do is I get to speak to them. I get to be in a communicative relationship with them. And because God loves you so much, he would love nothing better to be in communication with you and to speak to you. But we have to be in a certain posture, in a certain place, put ourselves in a certain sort of position to hear from God. And so what I want to do today, we're going to do this rather quickly today. I want to talk about how do we hear the very voice of God? It's not a myth. It's not something that the super spiritual people only hear from. Every single one of you in this room can hear from God, and I believe you can hear from him regularly. But it requires you to do certain things. And so today as we finish up this entire chapter of 18, uh, Pastor Kevin Butcher did a wonderful job doing the first half. We're going to finish off this latter half, the last 10 verses of Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 28. And in this passage, Paul's going to teach us, and uh, Apollos as well, how we can put ourselves in a position where we can hear God's voice. And so I hope that you'll listen uh, for just the next several, several minutes here. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 18 to 28. Acts 18, 18 to 28. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. You gotta, I, we'll talk a little bit about it, but there is a name shift here. Priscilla is the wife and Aquila is the husband. And guess whose name is first? Priscilla. Interesting. There's a reason why that is the case. We'll talk about that a little later. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. 
When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from, uh, from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, so we come to you right now, and I ask that you would help us just to go deeper into this word, and... Um, and especially for those in this room today who desperately need to hear from you, I pray that they would hear from you, if not today, but in the coming days. Lord, thank you that you want to communicate with us. Thank you that you would like to speak to each and every one of us. Would you help us to sort of position ourselves in a place where we can begin to do that? And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. Um, so how do we hear the very voice of God? How do we put ourselves in this position where we can do it? The first is this. If you want to hear God's voice, you have to listen to him in prayer. You got to listen in prayer. How many of you actually spend intentional time listening to God when you pray? How many of you actually spend intentional time? I think the church has done a good job of teaching us sort of what we should pray and how we should pray, but they haven't done a very good job in teaching us how we can begin to listen to God in prayer. All right, look at verse 20, verse 20. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Now, the Christians at Ephesus loved Paul. They wanted Paul to stay longer. And they said, would you stay a little longer? Paul said, no, I can't. He had to go back to Jerusalem. And so uh, Paul said, I will come back if it is God's will. Have you ever met people that talk like that? Like, I'll be there, Lord willing, or God willing. Like, I'll say, hey, I'll see you at church tomorrow, uh, Lord willing. I, I used to, like, wonder, why are they saying that? Like, are they using that as an excuse that if they don't come, God didn't want them to be there? <laughs> like, Lord, well, it wasn't Lord's will for me to go there today, right? I used to think like that, but then after upon kind of thinking about it a bit more and even talking to somebody who likes to use that verbiage, I realized that what they, what the reason why they say that is because they're afraid, that they, not that they're afraid, but they don't, they're not certain if tomorrow is going to happen. And so they say, Lord willing, God willing, that Jesus may come back tonight. So there's no certainty for tomorrow. So I'll be there, Lord willing. That's how they do it. But that's not what Paul's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul, when he says, God willing, what he's saying is that he actually puts himself in a regular position that he listens to God in his prayer life, but also in general as he is living his life. You see, Paul lived his life in a way where as he set plans to do certain things in certain ministries and things like that, Paul was always open to hearing God's voice and leading him. And sometimes he would be so open to it that God would say, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go a different route. Right? Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter 16. Look at verse 6 in chapter 16. Here is Paul wanting to go to the province of Asia. He wanted to do ministry there, 
but God spoke to him. Look what it says in verse six. But Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Paul had a plan. He wanted to go to certain places to continue to do ministry for God, but God had spoken to him and said, no, you can't go there. I know you want to go to Asia, but you can't. You got to stay in these other regions. And so we find that Paul heavily depended upon the voice, hearing the voice of God to sort of determine how he would live his life and where he would go next. I think that's great encouragement for us that we should put ourselves in a position where we can listen more to God and that we depend upon hearing from him before we start and act and do certain things. That that's key. But we gotta be willing to listen to him in prayer. Remember in the beginning of chapter 18, Pastor Kevin Butcher came and if you were here last Sunday, you gotta download that sermon and listen to it. It was fantastic. But probably one of the most discouraging moments in Paul's life was back in the beginning of chapter 18 because every time he'd preached God's word, he'd gotten beaten up. He was put in prison. Could you just imagine that? Like I was trying to put myself into that position that if I were to speak God's, like if I came and preached this sermon, then afterwards you guys beat me up when I was trying to go to my car and that happened like week after week, some of you put me in prison as a result of it. How discouraged would you be? Paul was having a pity party at the beginning of chapter 18, and he probably questioned if he should even continue to preach anymore because he was hurting. Physically, he was hurting, emotionally, and even spiritually. And he was literally at his sort of his darkest moment. He was feeling terrible about himself, questioning if he can actually really do this. And look at how God comes to him in verse 9 of chapter 18. Look at how he's at chapter 18, verse 9. There we go. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul said, well, God, if you speak this into me, that no one's going to touch me here, I'm going to stay here for 18 months. And he did. He was there, not only did he heal physically from all the beatings, but I think he also healed in an emotional and also in a spiritual way. Your prayer life should never be a monologue. It has to be a dialogue. You gotta give God time to speak to you. A lot of us, we like to go to prayer and we kinda tell God what we need and we also like to instruct him on how he can provide for those needs. We do that a lot. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, But Jesus says that God knows all of your needs, all of our needs. So we don't have to utter them to God. He knows what we need. And so perhaps maybe the best approach that you and I can take when we go to prayer is to share our heart, pour out our heart to him with vulnerability and and process it the way Paul probably processed it back in the beginning of chapter 18. And then God spoke to him. I find that God often speaks to me the most powerfully when I just pour out my heart to him sharing with him some of of my own insecurities, some of the hardships and struggles that I'm going through in my own life. You see, God has given you two ears and only one mouth. So you should be using your ears more than your mouth when you pray. Listen to him in your prayers. And please, don't give God a time limit. Some of you are like, okay, well, I'm gonna listen. And if you don't speak to me in 10 minutes, I'm out of here. Don't give God a time limit. Maybe he doesn't want to speak to you right now. Maybe you're not ready to receive some of the things he might want to say to you, right? Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you need to be put in a different place where he can speak to you, but don't give God a time limit 
Just let him speak and eventually you'll begin to hear his voice. You'll begin to hear him speak to you. And sometimes if you're not sure, because sometimes you're wondering, was that me hearing this, just my own inner voice, or was it actually God speaking to me? Very good question. A very good question. I would just encourage you to sort of take it in and then chew upon it, to sort of contemplate it, but then if you have some good friends, to talk to them about it and process it with them as well. Be careful because sometimes I think there's got to be a healthy balance. Some of us, we, we think we hear from God too much, right? He speaks to us all the time. And sometimes you use that as an excuse to support your actions. That's not very holy. And that's dangerous. God told me this. God told me that. When I was in college, one of my friends went up to this really beautiful girl. God told me that you are going to marry me. Probably not the best thing she said. You know what she said to him? Well, God didn't tell me that. She had a point. She had, he was trying to tell her, convince her that they should hook up because God told them that they're supposed to get married. Now, listen, I'm not saying that maybe God didn't say that, but I think there's got to be a balance. God may speak to you, but also let God speak to other people, especially if it concerns other people as well. You have to be at a place where you're going to listen to God in prayer. Listen to him in prayer. When you go to him, listen to him. I, I encourage you to surround your prayer time with a lot of silence, even if it's for a few minutes. And so some of you might really find it a struggle to actually be silent. And so do it in your car. Turn off the radio just, just while you're in traffic. Just spend some time in silence. Try to hone into God and pour out your heart to him. Let your prayer time be a dialogue, not a monologue. Very important. Uh, about four years ago, uh, when my daughter Christina was 13 years old, I sort of have a pack with my kids. When they turn 13, I tell them I'll take them anywhere in the country. Just you and me. When you turn 16, I'll take you anywhere in the world. Just you pick, right? So luckily, I didn't have to do that for Christina when she turned 16 because she wanted to have a sweet 16 party. I said, you got to pick, either or. I'm not taking you to both. I can't afford both. So she goes, I want a party. So I, we gave her a party instead. Uh, but when she was 13, I said, where do you want to go? And she said, I want to go to my birthplace. I want to go to Los Angeles because she was born in L.A. And so she kind of wanted to retrace her roots, and so we went out there, and I took her to Fuller, took her to the apartment where we lived in, took her to, it took us a while, but we finally found the daycare that took care of her, uh, a family. They weren't there anymore, but uh, they were still doing that there. They, they sold the business. I took her to the hospital. So it was just kind of a, a cool way just to kind of hang out in L.A. and just show her where she was born. Uh, but during that time, before we left, my mother had been sick for about five days, and, you know, she gets sick sometimes, and I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't. We went, got on the plane after Easter. We got on the plane to leave. She wasn't doing well. She stayed for both Easter services at church. She came to our church on Easter. And every day I kind of check in on her. Hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm not getting better. I'm just getting, I just feel like I'm getting worse. I said, well, go to the doctor. She did. She got a blood test drawn, all that stuff. Doctor said, you're fine. Didn't really contact her back after the blood results. And so I just thought, well, give it a couple more days. It'll probably get better. And I was, we were at the hotel in Los Angeles, and it was early in the morning, and I literally heard God said, wait, he woke me up, and he said, your mother needs to go to the hospital now. And, you know, because it's three hours difference, I woke up, I called my sister-in-law, and I said, you, can you take my mom to the hospital now? I think she needs to go. She needs to go to the emergency room. And we had two doctors from our church that, that, that worked there, so I called them. I said, could you just keep an eye on her and make sure she's doing well? So they said, Absolutely. Long story short, uh, she had a urinary tract infection, and it had gotten so bad that she had to be hospitalized for about five days. 
and, uh, and, and, and the doctor friend of ours uh, who comes to this church, he said if, if she waited a little longer, she might have passed away. And I couldn't believe it. My sister called me, and she goes, how did you know? I said, it wasn't me. I didn't know. God just told me that she needed to go to Englewood Hospital. And, you know, um, I thought about this a little bit, and I realized that if I didn't call her that day, she would have waited because my mom has very high tolerance for pain. I would have been an orphan today because my father passed away the year later. And I'm just so grateful that there are those moments sometimes where God will just speak to me. And it doesn't happen like that very often, but he'll speak to me so clearly. And I'll get that urge and I'll, I'll realize I got to take that next step. I do believe that God, some of you in this room, not all of you, but some of you, there's sort of a situation of a life and death matter in your life right now. And you desperately need to hear the voice of God. So would you listen to him in your prayer times? Would you be willing to listen to him? Just spend some time in listening, inviting some silence into your life, slowing down your life a little bit so that God could speak to you. He longs to do that because he loves you and because God desires to be in a relationship with you. How do you think God can be in a relationship with us? You hear pastors say that all the time. God wants to be in a relationship with you. Being a born-again Christian is about being in a relationship with God. Absolutely. But if God doesn't speak to you, how is he going to have a relationship with you? You ever think about that for a moment? And so you got to put yourself in a place where you're going to let God speak to you and you're willing to just listen to him in prayer. So go to him. Pour out your heart. Maybe come up for prayer today because when two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. And let somebody pray, one of our pastors or leaders pray for you and maybe you'll experience God's presence and maybe he'll speak to you today. Listen in prayer. Second and last thing, we hear from God when we have critical friends. You get that? High school kids? You hear from God when you have critical friends. Not just the high school kids, all of us. Do you have critical friends? Dallas Willard, a spiritual formations guru, in his book, he wrote that we will never grow spiritually if we do not have critical friends in our life. Friends that you give authority to be critical with you. Friends that you know love you, and the only reason why they're giving you feedback and being critical with you is because they deeply love you. If we don't have that in our lives, we're not going to grow. Apollos had that. Look at verse 24. 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Apollos was like an Old Testament scholar. He was, he was a brilliant man, and he was able to connect the Old Testament Bible to Jesus Christ. But it says that he only knew the baptism of John. What, really what that meant was that he didn't understand the full breadth of Christianity. Particularly, he didn't have a good theology or any theology of the Holy Spirit. He knew the baptism of John, but he didn't know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Priscilla and Aquila sat him down in love, fed him, talked to him, and corrected him and helped him to learn. Gave him some critical feedback so that he could be more theologically sound, so that he can be better and more effective when he actually does teach the word of God. Critical friends. Critical friends are people that you invite into your life and you've given them authority to be critical with you that they'll give you feedback, that you have to welcome that into your life. Critical 
friends. Now, why is that so important? Because God speaks through his people. You want to hear God's voice? It happens through people that you actually give the authority to speak truth into your life. I mean, God does speak to us when we listen to him in prayer, absolutely. But if you really want to also get to a place where you can profoundly hear from God regularly, it's about having critical friends. Now, I know that's hard, right? That's hard. Uh, This sermon, I preached this sermon to my staff before I preach it to you. I remember about nine years ago, I started doing this. I hated preaching the sermons before I preached it to the staff because I didn't want their critical feedback. It kind of like, I'm like, I just rely on the Holy Spirit. I don't really need your advice, right? I don't need your feedback to speak to me about what the sermon should be about. I'm a senior pastor, right? But I just sense that that's important. And so like nine years later, I can't even fathom preaching a sermon to you before I preach it to them. And so two weeks ago, because last week we were at Camp Metro, uh, two weeks ago I finished the sermon and I preached it to them. And uh, in the room, the majority of these folks are pastors who graduated with seminary degrees. We got one who's a doctor of New Testament, David Hosang, right? Why wouldn't I want that dude's feedback, right? And then we have Tim Chartier, who's our communications director, and he's always sitting, and when he listens to the sermon, he always sits in uh, sort of in the posture of a skeptic and an atheist. Ask the question, so what? What does this sermon have to do with me? And so he always kind of comes from that perspective. It's really cool, right? And so this sermon had three points. But they said, that third point of mine isn't very good. (laughs) And I believe with Walmart, even to this day, that third point, it was hot. (laughs) It was the best out of the three that I came up with, right? And I I, I didn't feel good about them saying you should get rid of that third point. If you want to know the third point, just come email me. I'll tell you what that third point is. (laughs) It's so good. It's in the text, too. But they said, it's not. And so I took it out. And you know what? After a while, I'm practicing. I'm like, it's better, actually. It's better. It's probably better I didn't put that point in. But their critical feedback is so important for me. I can't even fathom preaching a sermon without getting their input. If I had to go preach at other places, and if it was a new sermon I had to come up with, I would beg them to please hear it so they can give me that kind of critical feedback. And it's taken, I think, our sermons, all of our preachers, to the next place because we're able to listen to it and give critical feedback. God wants to speak to you today. He does. But he can't speak to you if you don't have people in your life that's willing to be critical, uh, that you're going to allow to be critical to you. And I hope that, as they are, that you would take that as a term of endearment rather than them trying to hurt you. You know, Kevin Swanson and I, you know, he's no longer here anymore. And um, I had lunch with him a couple Fridays ago. And I said, so for eight years, Kevin, you know me. My wife knows me better than you. My kids probably know me better than you, but nobody else knows me better than you. I said, can you, like, start thinking about areas where you think I need to grow in? I need some feedback. Would you be willing to share it with me? And so he said that he would, and he'll send it to me in an email. I can't wait (laughs) to get that email because if there's a man that I trust, and what I'm going to read, I, you know, sometimes you think when, you get, when somebody criticizes you, it hurts. But for me, it's a term of endearment. When it's somebody that I love and I trust and I respect, I need their feedback because if I don't get it, I can't grow. And I certainly may not hear the very voice of God. How do we do this? Well, because it's not easy. I get it. 
And some of you, and if you grew up in a home where your parents always criticized you, I know how hard this is. If your parents always compared you to everything, everyone else and their kids and how smart that their friends' kids are over you and stuff, I know this can be hard. I know this can be a real big step for you, but I want you to know today that you can open your heart out and realize that let God heal you through your friends who love you and they can share some critical feedback and understand that God will often use them to speak to you. One of the best ways in how you'll hear from God, the best way that I hear from God, I wish I could say it's always when I'm hearing God in my prayer times, but it's not. I mean, that happens, but I hear from God the best through the people that are in my life and that I've given them permission to be critical with me. You with me on that? So find some of those. And kids, the younger you have that in your life, oh man, you are so ahead of the curve. If you can do that in your teenage years, and if you're here, maybe like in eighth, ninth grade, and maybe it's registering with you a little bit, I'm telling you, if you can start doing that now, you are so ahead of the curve. You're going to get to a place in your life, even at a young age, where you're going to know the depth of God's love for you, because what's required of you in order to have critical friends? Two things. Two things. The first thing is this. It's honesty. You've got to be able to be honest with some of these people that you've given authority to speak truth into your life. And I find that honesty doesn't really happen in a lot of our relationships. A lot of times we like to keep things very secretive. We don't want people to know our deep inner thoughts. And some of it might be dark, and that's okay. You know when you actually share and you're honest, you're, you're literally shining the very light of God into some of those dark thoughts and dark deeds that maybe you've done. And what the enemy wants is that what the devil would love is for you to continue to live your life in secrecy, hiding behind some of those things, hiding behind your big smile and your spirituality, and not letting some of the deep, dark things in your life to be exposed so that God's light and Holy Spirit can come and speak deeply into it. When you let your mind start to go into places that you know is not a good place, and when it goes there and you don't have anyone you can share that with, I am telling you, the enemy is going to have a field day with you. You've got to be honest. You've got to find a few people that you can just be really raw and honest with. Because I'm telling you right now, everything can't be that great in your life all the time. You're going to hit a wall. And if you haven't, you will soon. You need to be honest. That's key, right? Honesty. The second thing that really helps you to live in that critical friendship with others is humility. You gotta be humble. Apollos was humble. Holy smokes, was he humble. I mean, he was like an Old Testament scholar. And he led Priscilla. Women had a prominent role in the early church. I hope you see that now. We've been going through this now as we're hitting the latter part of Acts. And you start to see women really playing a prominent role. Priscilla was the better teacher than Aquila. I wanna say that again, because maybe today it doesn't matter much. But back in 2,000 years ago, no, I think it really matters even today. But 2,000 years ago, no woman was ever allowed to teach a man the ways of God. No, it was, it was as derogatory as you can imagine. And here, there's a switch, because before it was Aquila and Priscilla. If you if read a couple chapters before, now it's switched. It's Priscilla and Aquila. Why? Because Aquila was the better gifted teacher. She knew more than even Aquila did, and he, she was more able to teach Apollos the ways of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And what did Apollos do? Did he say, lady, listen, I'm an Old Testament scholar. How dare you? Shh, Aquila, you speak. No. It says, Priscilla and Aquila taught him the ways. He was humble. 
Humility defined is not you thinking lowly of yourself. Humility defined is you depending fully upon God. When you depend fully upon God, you will be open to hearing from God in all different ways and avenues. And for Apollos, because he was humble, because he depended fully on God, he was able to learn from a woman. That is honestly what that's like is that one of you will go to, like maybe Pastor David Hosang preaches one Sunday, and you tap him on the shoulder and say, I need to meet with you, and I need to teach you a little bit more about New Testament. How many of you would actually do that? Nobody. <laughs> kind of hard to, you know, to say that to somebody who has a New Testament, a PhD in New Testament. But that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Apollos had some critical people in his life that were able to give him some feedback that helped him. And uh, you see that sort of through some of the passages in the Bible. Remember when Peter was eating with the, with the Gentiles? And in, in, in Jewish customs, you cannot eat with Gentiles. But because of Jesus Christ, he knew this, he's able to do it, right? I mean, he had that, that experience with Cornelius in earlier in Acts, right? And, and he was able to, he had this dream of vision eating pigs and stuff like that. And, and, and so God spoke to him like, no, you can now connect and, and you can be a part of community. You can be in community with Gentiles. But when Jewish people came, what, happened, what did Peter do? Peter got up and he went to the Jewish folks because he was a little bit self-conscious. And his critical friend, Paul, mind you, Peter was the head apostle Paul said, what are you doing, man? How dare you do that? There's not the Jew, no Gentile, slave, no free, male, no female, because we're all one in Jesus Christ. Right? That was powerful. Remember David, King David, when he committed adultery and, 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 um, and impregnated Bathsheba, but he also killed Bathsheba's husband? God spoke to David. Through who? Through the prophet Nathan. Remember that? And literally got him on his knees, and you see it later on in Psalms, uh, later on in Psalms when David writes, creating me a clean heart. Cast me not away, God. Right? Renew a right spirit within me. God will use people in your life, and he will speak through them so that you can hear his voice. But you've got to be willing to have critical friends. If you don't, you're not going to really hear from God. And I certainly believe you're not going to be able to put yourself in a place where you're going to hear um, God speak to you, even as you listen to him in your prayers. We were at uh, Pilgrim Pines uh, this whole week uh, for Camp Metro. It was really an awesome time for us. Uh, but Sunday, before we were heading up there, my son had a baseball game. My son Christian, again, he's a 13. He made it to the All-Star team this year. He plays for Palisades Park, Leonia. It's kind of an honor to play in the All-Star team. And um, he... He, uh, Sunday, we had to play the game and then drive up to Pilgrim Pines. I didn't get to New Hampshire until about 12 o'clock because we ended late. And um, he didn't have a good day offensively. And, uh, you know, that happens. But, man, the pitchers that were thrown at him, man, they were bad. And he struck out both times. One time looking, and to me, that's like a no-no. You cannot strike out looking. And I just saw his reaction when, like, the guy, when the um call strike three, he looked at him like, are you crazy? It was right down the middle. But he thought it was not, right? And so he was upset. And the second time he struck out swinging, like, a really high fastball, like that. And so what ended up happening was is that uh, his coach took him out for all, whenever he got up to hit and had a pinch hitter hit for him, and, but put him in for defensive purposes because the defense is good. And, uh, and I think I would have been okay if the person that he replaced him with offensively was a hitter that I really believe was better than him. But it was a guy that was not good at all. <laughs> this guy was bad. I couldn't believe it. It just didn't make any sense. I'm like, you think that guy can hit better than Christian? Crazy, 
crazy. So I was so upset. I was eating dinner at home and, and my wife Jenny's like, why are you so angry? I'm like, I don't know, I'm just angry. <laughs> we get in the car and we're driving up and he's there by himself, it's just my mom and me and him and we're driving up the Pilgrim Pines and he's just kind of like hanging out listening to his you know, music and I say, hey, turn that off. <laughs> I said, you know in 10th grade, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball, he tried out but he didn't make it. And he said he used that as motivation to become the best player in the world. I said, today, you didn't bat because your coach believed that this person was better than you. Let that serve as motivation for you. Get angry that he replaced you for him. Get angry, get upset, and work your butt off to be the best player you could be. I try to give him the pep talk, right? And I was like, you understand? And he just looked at me and goes, yeah. <laughs> And literally five minutes later, he's sleeping quietly in the car. <laughs> Clearly, he's not upset about what happened. And it bothered me so much that this kid could be fast asleep and not upset at the injustice of what happened to him today. <laughs> I was so upset as I was driving, because it took me four hours to get there. I just said to myself, why am I so angry? What's going on in here? Why am I so angry? And I was able to figure out why a little bit. It was because I was projecting a lot on him. When I was growing up, I had some people, even friends, you know what they said to me a lot? Because I started playing basketball senior year in high school and then I started playing more in college. You know what they said? They said, if I had your height, I could dunk. <laughs> It'd be so easy to dunk if I had your height. Some people would even go as far as say, hey, if I had your height, I'd be playing Division I college right now. Some people would even say, if I had your height, I'd be in the NBA. <laughs> I know I'm built like an athlete, and I may not be very athletic, but you know, I, those years of my life was living, I lived in shame. So when I heard them say that, you know what I was, how I interpreted that? You are a waste of height. And so for me, when I was in college, I, my goal was to dunk. I printed up a regimen to increase my vertical by about six to eight inches. Every day I would work at it. Every day so I could finally dunk a basketball. And finally I did. I was so happy, but I could never do it in a game because it was just so much harder. I just did it when nobody was around me and I can just jump and just dunk the ball. That's the only time I could really do it, right? But it, it said something. It, it made me feel better about myself because I was able to do something that people didn't believe I could do. And I was realizing that I was projecting myself on this little boy. And so, thank God for Kevin Butcher, because I shared all that stuff with him. We went out for lunch, and I poured my heart out to him. I just kind of shared it. And you know what he said to me? And he said something I never would have thought of in a million years. He said, God is using Christian to heal that little boy inside of you that's still hurting. I said, whoa, stop that for a moment. I was like, that's crazy. What? He's like, God is using your son to heal the little boy that's hurting. I, I mean, it was like, it was so God. I, I, I just, I was overwhelmed by that truth. And the reason why I was so angry on Sunday was because in many ways it was a reflection, perhaps maybe of my lack of athletic ability. Maybe he's not hitting because I'm not very athletic. 
And it was sort of in that way that I was internalizing. And then I started thinking a bit more. My daughter, Christina, was eight years old. She used to come home so excited to help me so that, so that I could work with her with her homework. And uh, I remember just like I would try to help her and she wouldn't get things. I'd get so angry and I'd just start yelling at her and I'd start flicking her forehead. How could you not know this? It's so easy. Right? And this poor little girl, used to be, she used to be so excited about coming and, and working on her homework with her dad. And then all of a sudden... Days, months go by, she had no desire to want to work with me anymore. And many times she'd be crying and her paper would be filled with her tears because I'd make her cry. Back then, God used her to heal me because he eventually delivered me from that. Not that I don't care about what kind of grades my kids get anymore. I no longer find my identity in how well they do in school. I just had no idea that God was doing that with sports now, (laughs) with Christian. (laughs) And that evening, I remember just kind of looking at him because he was sleeping. And I just said, God, thank you. I never thought you would give me my kids to heal me. But that this kid, one of the reasons why he's here is to heal me. Heal the little boy that's hurting in me. I don't know where I would be today if God didn't speak to me through my critical friends. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. I know sometimes it's not easy for people to say some things that you may not agree with and it might hurt you. And I know for some of you, maybe you've actually had those moment friends that you've given permission to speak into your life and then they've really hurt you because of it. Don't let the enemy steal what God wants to do in your life. If Apollos didn't hear from Priscilla and Aquila, he would have continued to went on and he wouldn't have been able to teach the beautiful part of knowing Jesus Christ is understanding and living under the power of the Holy Spirit. And for many of you here, you can say with your mouth that God loves you. You can say that you're a follower of Jesus. But if you don't hear the voice of God upon your life, how are you going to fully know it with your heart? There are some people in your life that God has brought that you can give the authority to speak truth into your life. Let them be critical so that you can go deeper with them. And when you're praying, for heaven's sakes, will you start listening to him rather than telling God how he needs to do his job? Let's pray. I want, we have a lot of time today. I, I want to give you just a brief moment, if you can, to go to God and just pour your heart out to him. What is your soul struggling with these days? What is it? And if there's too many, just pick the top one or two. Just pour your heart out to him right now he'll speak to you the way God spoke to Paul in the beginning of chapter 18 when Paul's like I I should probably quit being a preacher it's not working every time I do that people beat me up and put me in prison and God spoke to him so I just want to give you a brief moment just to pour your heart out to him right now why don't you just do that and then I'm going to close this in prayer
for parents. Maybe your kids are there to heal you of some of the wounds you've had to endure as a kid growing up. And maybe you'll allow God to do that today, to show you some things that maybe you hadn't seen before. And uh, rather than being so hard on your child, maybe you can see them as your teacher so that you can be in a better place of understanding. God, would you help us, Lord? Thank you that you want to speak to us. Thank you that you love us. And because you love us so much, you want, to, you want to speak to us. You want to communicate with us. You want us to be in a communicative relationship with you, God. And I thank you for that privilege, that honor that you've given to us, that we can engage with you at that level. And so I ask and I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here today. I ask you, God, that you would help them to put themselves in a place where they can listen to you in their prayers. And God, maybe it's just one person in their life, God, that they would give them the authority to be that they could be critical, meaning giving positive, giving some feedback on areas where they can grow in, things that they can look at and see about their lives that maybe they have never been able to see before. God, I can't even imagine how long it's been maybe since you've wanted to tell me that you're gonna use Christian to heal me of that shame that I lived with. And it took somebody like Kevin Butcher to tell me that. I think, God, there's a lot of us in this room where you're trying to speak to them, but we're not able to hear you. And so, God, I pray that we would take this seriously and that we would have some people in our lives that can just speak truth and give us feedback about how we can grow so that we can heal, so that we stop hurting the people we love the most, and especially so that we stop hurting ourselves, so that we're able to live in this relationship that you want us to have with you. Be with us. Be with our church guard us and guide us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. If you can flip over your communication card or just get onto your app here, there, there are several here. The first one is, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, maybe you're kind of here investigating the whole things of Jesus and you're sensing something in your heart right now, um, I ask that you would be open to giving your heart to Jesus. Be the best decision you ever made. Just check that off. And could I encourage you to, to go to the next table, which is the second table on your left outside these doors. Uh, one of our pastors will be there. They'd love to give you a new believers, sort of a, 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 we call it a package, but also pray with you as well. So just check that off and we'll pray for you throughout the week. Uh, second, I will commit to spending five minutes in silence twice a day for the entire month of July. Just five minutes, 10 minutes a day. Five minutes, maybe in the morning, and five minutes before you go to bed in silence. Try, all right? And it's important for you to find anchor words that'll keep you grounded because many times when you're silent, your mind wanders to places you don't even want to be. Sometimes it even wanders to some real dark places. Don't get discouraged. It's just part of being human. Find some anchor words like Jesus. Whenever your mind wanders, just say Jesus or Abba or whatever that word is or, or hallelujah. You know, just whatever word that is and just keep saying that word over and over in your mind and that'll keep you anchored so that you can stay in God's presence, all right? Uh, third, this week I will give authority to someone to speak truth into my life as I am vulnerable with them. As, as you are honest and vulnerable and humble, would you give somebody maybe permission to speak truth into your life? Fourth, uh, a way, uh, I, please sign me up to share dinner with homeless families with Family Promise on July 17th, 18th, and 19th. So we partner with an organization called Family Promise, and we do this a couple times a year. 
Family Promise is an organization that serves homeless families in Bergen County. And uh, we're looking for some people who would be willing to have dinner with these families. Um, I think the church location is going to be Leonia. And um, looking to eat dinner and connect with the family, play with the family. Um, and also, if you can, and you can do this, to spend the night there overnight. We're looking for some people to do overnighters as well. Um, if you would like to serve in any capacity, could you please check that off and we'll get back to you this week uh, with more information. Uh, last thing, uh, please sign me up for the setup and breakdown ministry. Uh, we have some amazing ministries. All the ministries are amazing, but these two in particular need some more help. Uh, some people who are willing to maybe wake up a bit earlier, get here at seven o'clock in the morning for twice a month and uh, help build God's kingdom so that we can have church here on Sundays. And then uh, maybe staying back after second service for an hour to break down this church. I call them people who preserve God's kingdom. If you're interested in, in serving in this great ministry, uh, I encourage you to check that off and I will personally get to you this week uh, with more information about that. All right.